Good morning, guys. How's everyone doing? Morning. Awesome. I'm doing great. I'm, I'm excited to do this this morning. By the way, guys, if, if you don't know me, I'm Jeff. I'm the youth pastor, um, and I get to bring the message today. And this is a, this is a, it's kind of awkward for me right now just because I'm used to coming up and having announcements then going into my sermon. So you guys should have heard me first service whenever I didn't have announcements. I was like, hi, weather's a thing. Um, and then, um, like, uh, so it, we'll just jump into it. Let's do it. All right. So I am, I don't know about you guys, but I am loving this series. Who else loves this series? Storyteller. This is your first week. You already love it. Don't worry. Awesome. So this series is all about the parables that Jesus told. Now, when we were talking about this, we started talking about this months ago. We were like in the middle of Romans when we started talking about doing this series. And I, from that moment, I was excited because I'm, I'm, my, I'm a New Testament guy. I'm a Gospels guy. That's like my favorite section of the Bible. I will reread the Gospels time and time again. And, and some of my favorite parts are in the parables. Because the parables are, are awesome because they're just they're stories. I mean, it's, it's Jesus telling you a, a story. But the thing is, is that Jesus is a master at communicating incredibly complex messages in the form of simple stories. Now, if you guys have listened to me preach at all, you know I like to usually start with a story. Um, and it's because I, I enjoy stories, and I think stories are captivating, and they draw you in. Um, and actually, the last couple of years, stories have become incredibly popular in like business and in marketing. Uh, in fact, there's been a ton of research done on what stories, just hearing a story, does to our brains. Uh, in fact, Story is one of the few things that activates a certain part of the brain that allows you to actually emotionally connect uh, with, uh, within a story. So you can actually see yourself inside of the story. It activates a certain part of the brain that allows you to do that. Um, stories actually uh, have a, there's a process called mirroring, and it allows you to be on like the same brain wavelengths as the storyteller and others listening to the story. Um, and stories actually, when you hear a, an emotionally charged story, releases dopamine in the brain, making the story more memorable. Uh, it also makes, it gives you like an emotional charge. That's why when you watch a feel-good movie, you feel good, or you watch a sad movie, you, I guess you feel bad. I don't watch those. I don't know why we, people do that to themselves. But, um, but yeah, so I only watch good movies because I want to feel good about my life. All right, so... Stories can draw you in. Actually, a lot of uh, research, it, it, like business, is moving to like story. There's a there's a huge company called Story Brand, and it's all about marketing with story. It's because story, scientists found, is actually 20 times more memorable than facts. That's why I imagine by Wednesday you will all have forgotten all the facts I just told you. If we haven't already, that's okay, because that wasn't the point. The point is, I'm hoping that you will be able to remember the story I'm going to tell and the point that went along with it. But I just wanted to point that out, that, that story is so powerful. And, and don't think it's a coincidence that every time Jesus spoke to a crowd, he spoke in story. Jesus knew this. Jesus was God. He created us with a passion and a desire for story. After all, is God not the ultimate storyteller? I mean, look at all of creation. It was spoken with his lips. He is the ultimate storyteller. He created us with the desire in our hearts to hear and understand and, and perceive story. And, and Jesus knew this. This was not brand new news to him. He knew that he could communicate with people through story. Because after all, he was the word, right? The word made flesh. So I like to start out with a story. So how many sports fans do I have here? How many sports fans? 
Okay, quite a few, quite a few. All right. All right, good. I, I am a, a lover of almost, almost every sport. Now, there is, there's one sport that I dislike, and, and I'm, I'm going to get hate for it. I know I am because so many people love it. So, okay, I, I love football. I love basketball. I love golf. I even, I even like tennis and badminton. There's one sport. America's pastime, baseball. I just don't like, I don't like it, all right? I admit it. And I'm pretty sure football is more popular. I don't know why baseball is still America's pastime. Anyway, argument for another day. <laughs> I just, I don't like baseball. And I, and I believe it comes from, as me being, being a child, and, and this, these horrid memories came back to me this week when we played kickball at youth group. Um, Michael forced me to do it. Anyway. So, whenever I was a kid, if, you, if we ever talk about sports, I'll probably tell you the first sport I ever played was wrestling. It's the only one I count. And, uh, but before I wrestled, I, I played a sport called coach pitch softball. Are you all familiar with this? Yeah, okay. All right, so I played coach pitch softball. I don't know if I was just bad or my team was bad. I don't, we, we didn't win. I know that much. And I somehow had the role of playing the outfield in coach pitch Softball. You can imagine how often I seen action. Never. I would, I mean, literally, my job was this. Ooh, butterfly. Like, that is what I did the entire game. I'm like, I did nothing. I stood there. They trained me to do stuff, but there wasn't anything to do. The ball never came my way, except this one time. This one time, I'm out here doing my thing, you know, watching grass grow, and, and uh, out, of, out of over here somewhere, I don't know if it's a coach or parent, God, I don't know, someone yelled, ball, up, up, and I'm like, I look up, and I have a hat, I'm not used to wearing a hat, I don't see a ball, I'm like, where? And I look a little further, do like this number, I found the ball, it found me, <laughs> I look up, and I catch it, just dead square in the nose, <laughs> Where's the ball? Bam! And so no, like blood just begins to pour. Tears begin to pour. Jesus did it. I'm tough. All right. And that, I, don't, I haven't liked baseball since then. Never got hurt, hurt that bad in football, and people were trying to hurt me. So I don't know. But the problem was, is it was not my inability to catch the ball. I could catch the ball. I'd practiced that number a few times. It was that I was not prepared to catch the ball. Right? That had, I, had I actually been watching the game and paying attention to what happened, I would have likely caught the ball and maybe got moved out of the back, or the out there, outfield, that's the word. But I wasn't prepared. So I didn't catch what I was hoping for. It's not that I didn't want to play the game, it's just the game didn't want to play with me. I wanted to play, I wanted the ball to come, I wanted to do something, and when it finally happened, I wasn't ready for it. And I want to say that happens, that happens a lot of time in life. That we are hoping for something, that we are, we are praying for something, that we are hoping that something comes our way, but we're not prepared to receive it when it actually comes. For example, imagine you're out fishing. How many fishermen do we have here? Fishermen, fisher ladies? Well, I don't know what the term is. All right. If you're out fishing and you're hoping to catch that trophy bass, you know, pull that big old 10-pounder out of Honey's Pond because it's in there somewhere. If you're hoping for that and you're, you're out there throwing out two-pound mono, what's the chances you're reeling that bass in? that much. You've got to be prepared for what you're hoping for. 
right? Because you can fish all day with two-pound line, and when you land that monster bass, it's going to snap that line in on instant. You've got to be prepared to receive what you're actually hoping for. And I think a lot of times we're just, we don't prepare ourselves to receive what's coming our way. So on that note, Lucas, you want to come on up and join me? Let's come up. I have an illustration. Uh, I just need you to come up and stand on the drop cloth. Don't worry why. Don't, don't. don't worry about it. Actually, I got you a present too. I know, I really thought about having you come up, but Lucas has been out of it so long. If you just don't mind putting this poncho on, just for... Don't worry. <laughs> you're good. You, you figure it out. Hey, you're doing... Actually, I had Roger come up first service. You got it on a lot, a lot faster than he did. Okay, so... Uh, <laughs> The point is, let me, let me find all my, my mystery items here. Okay, all right, first thing, here you go, Lucas, think fast. Man, that was my breakfast. All right, now I'll give you a tool. Here you go. I need you to try to catch that egg and that spoon right there. You got it, don't. All right, Roger didn't, so if you catch it, you beat him, okay? Well, I'm, I'm going to try not to get on your shoes, so I'm going to throw it this way. You ready? All right, with the spoon. Oh, so close. All right, we'll try one more, one more. Who thinks he can do it? Can we get a cheer for Lucas? All right. All right, here we go. You ready? Oh, you were so close. All right. I think the problem is we don't have the right tool for the job. Let me, let me have my spoon back. I need that. All right. I think we have a better tool for the job. Let's try this. Now, it's a kid's glove, so just try to do your best and get your hand in there. <laughs> no, it's actually my glove. Got it. At five below. All right, it's cheap. All right, you ready? Yeah, no. Okay, better not. Let's see it. Let's see it. All right. No way. <laughs> that would be awful. All right. Yeah, all right. Thank you. Thank you for hanging out. You can keep the poncho if you want it. It was a dollar. Yeah, I know. That was the point. <laughs> well, I also really didn't want to get your clothes dirty. Now I've got to make sure I don't step over there. You see, the, the, as we've seen in that illustration is in order to receive something, two things have to be true. You have to be prepared to receive it, and you need the right tools for the job, right? You can hope and pray all day long that you're going to receive all these mighty blessings, but if you are not ready, if you are not prepared, and if you are not equipped for the job at hand, it's not going to do you any good to receive that blessing. I mean, if you receive a, a load of money but have no plan for that money, I'm, McDonald's is probably making most of it, right? I mean, you've got to have a plan, for your blessings. The problem is we're all praying for blessings, but we are not equipped and we are not prepared to receive them. You see, as, as we read today, we're going to be reading uh, the parable of the sower, or the parable of the seed, or the parable of the soil, or the parable of the soil and the seed. It has a lot of names. My Bible calls it the parable of the sower. We'll go with that. We're going to be reading that today, and, and what we see in this, uh, this story that Jesus tells is, is the same thing is true in all the circumstances. The seed is sown. The seed is thrown out. The difference is, is the soil's ability to receive it. You see, you and I have the ability to or to not receive the seed, the seed being the Word of God. So as we read in this parable today, we are going to find ourselves, and in the beginning I gave some scientific facts that I read on the Google, and, um, and they said that there's actually a part of our brain that activates when we hear a story, and it allows us to enter into the story and to picture ourselves there. So when we read a parable, it is pivotal that we find ourselves in the story, 
that we find out who we are, because if we assume we're the wrong person, we might get the wrong idea of what Jesus meant for us. So one of the first things we need to do is when we're reading this parable is to find ourselves, who we are in the story Jesus is telling. But I do want to say, as we read this, we are going to take the spot of either someone who receives the word gladly, we're going to take the spot of someone who may hear the word, but it, it, it doesn't affect us. And maybe we even want it to, and we come to church week after week after week after week after week after week, and we, and we try, and we really want to, but the more we hear, the more it goes in one ear and out the other, and we just, it doesn't make an impact on our, on our hearts. Sometimes we, we want to, to live for God, and sometimes we want to do all the right things, but as soon as we walk out into the world, the world becomes a little bit too much for us to bear, and it simply chokes out the Word of God in our lives. And before we know it, our only focus can be on our problems and on the stresses and on the things we face. If you're in any of these situations, it's just between you and God. You know where you're at, but I do want you to know this, that my message is called Check Your Heart, and this is the slide I was trying to get to. You are not alone, and it's not over. You are not alone, and it's not over. So today, as we start this parable, we're going to start, if you have your Bibles, you can open them up to Luke 8. I will start in verse 4. If not, the Sky Bible will have it, and so will your phone. Uh, so you have plenty of options there. Um, we're going to go and start. Jesus starts, he said, it says, And when a great crowd was gathering, and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed it, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. Okay, so right here, in the very beginning, we, we list our three main characters. Okay, so first we have the sower. Now, the sower is a unique position because at this moment in the story, when we were talking about receiving the Word of God, you personally receiving the Word of God, you are not the sower. However, once you have received the Word of God, once you have become a Christian, you have committed your life to Jesus and had a, a life-changing, soul-changing experience with God, you are then the sower that will sow the seed in lives of others. As a Christian, our job, our opportunity is to go and make disciples of all nations. We are to then spread the seed. However, in this, in this uh, illustration, this parable that Jesus is telling, we're going to take the form not of the sower because in this one, Jesus is the sower. So we, we now know that Jesus is the sower. The seed is the word of God. There we go. And we are the soil. So we have Jesus, who is the sower. Then we have the seed, which is the word of God. And we have the soil, which is us, or to be uh, more clear, it is our heart, the forms that our heart will take. And the first thing I notice, I don't know a ton about gardening, I'll admit it, uh, but I imagine, and, and the little bit of gardening I've done is that when you garden, you, you are somewhat strategic with how you place your seed. You, I assume you till the ground, you make certain spots, and you, you, you plant your seed maybe in rows or, I don't know, checkerboards or something. Like you, you, you have some sort of strategy with it. And the first thing I see, especially in, in the other Gospels, because this, this parable is unique because it's in three out of the four Gospels, which is huge. 
most of the Gospels do not have the exact same stories. It's one reason we know they're true, because they're not a copy and paste of Mark, or they're not a copy and paste of Luke. They actually wrote it themselves from memory. That's why some things are left out, some things are included. But this story was so impactful that it's in three out of four. And actually, it's in all three of what would be called the synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Um, so it's actually in all of them, and as you read the other ones kind of paralleled side by side, you begin to realize the form that this sower had taken. He had actually came and, and very liberally threw out the seed. Like He would hold nothing back. He was just slinging the seed everywhere, on the, on the path, on the weeds, in the garden, I don't know, everywhere. Like He came and he was just scattering the seed everywhere it could be, and if we see the sower as Jesus and he's just scattering the seed and spreading the word of God everywhere he could reach. We read in 1 Timothy 2, 3, and 4, This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And I think this is powerful, because we see Jesus just spreading the seed everywhere he can reach. That we see the gardener actually throwing seed, even where, on the hard ground, where he knows it may not ever reach the heart. But he still throws the seed, nonetheless, and he, he scatters it liberally. I just think that's powerful, because some of us think that we're unworthy of the love of God. And you should know that in all four types of soil we're going to read about today, you're going to find yourself there. And Jesus didn't leave your soil out. He spread the seed there, too. So the first soil we're going to talk about is the hard soil. The hard soil. So it begins that the sower went out, the sower went out to sow his seed. And I'm going to pause there for just a moment. The sower went out. So he's telling us already that the sower has, has left where he was and he's began to walk to his field. Now this is important and, and kind of cool if you're a Bible nerd. Um, is that what he would call here is what this was, he would go on a path, and it would have been a, a dirt road. It's about, you know, three feet wide, because they didn't want to use up too much land. But it would be about three feet wide, and it would be traveled over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. And, and people would walk on it, and livestock would walk across, and eventually this dirt road, if you've ever been on a dirt trail, you know how hard it can get after it's just been packed down and packed down and packed down. And eventually it's like concrete, and it's just hard as a rock. Now, what's interesting about this, what's kind of fun is, is back then, they didn't necessarily call it a path. They would call this the way. Now, what the way did is, is it was a path that provided a way for the sower to get to the field. Also, I think it's interesting, all throughout Scripture, field is used as a metaphor for the world. And then what is, what's the church called in the book of Acts? The way. The way. This path we're talking about is a way for the sower to get to the field. But the way, the church, you and I, Christians, the body of Christ, we are the way that brings the world to the sower. Right? We, we, we connect it. That's what we're here for, is to bring unbelievers to Jesus. To bring people with this hard heart to Jesus. That's our job. We are the way that brings people to Jesus. Now what we see here, also, I, have, uh, I was really excited about this parable because I think it's the easiest because uh, Jesus literally explains it. Makes my job so easy. Because um, what he does is that he tells the parable and the disciples come up to him later and they're like, yo, we don't know what's going on. And he's like, do you not understand what are these words I say? And they're like, no. And so he explains it to them and I actually get to read what he explained. So I don't really got to do much. 
Jesus says about the hard soil, jump down. So what we just read was verse 5. If we jump down to verse 12 is where he starts to explain it. He says, the ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. So Jesus actually says, it's those that have a hard heart that the word of God is not penetrated into, that the devil is able to come and just steal it away. And I think we see this represented a lot of time. And and what I want to break down is is the wall that you're going to know your your heart is hard. You don't know. I believe for a long time I've faced certain things in my life that I would have had a hard heart. You see, because what's significant here is, is what he compares it to, the path or the way. How's the path get hard? It's trampled on. It's walked on. It's stepped on. It's stomped on. There's mud on it. There's spit on it. There's other things from animals on it. How does a heart get hard? It gets walked on. It gets stepped on. It gets trampled on. It's betrayed. It's been let down. People have not lived up to the promises they had said. And before long, we have a hard heart. Life didn't go how I expected. A hard heart. And so what we begin to do is we begin to shut out the rest of the world so that the world can't hurt us. Because if we don't let it in, it can't affect us. It can't hurt us. The problem lies in when we shut out the world, we also shut out God. When we shut out everyone else, That includes God. Most of the time, we will shut out God. And what God is speaking to is someone who has a heart that is shutting him out. That they may hear the word of God. They may be in a church today and hearing the words and listening as someone reads the words. They may be sitting down day after day after day and really in this book reading the word of God. The problem is the heart is so hard, the word of God can't penetrate it. And though they read it, though they understand it, though they may know it and have it memorized, if it's not in the heart, it's simply a head knowledge. And we'll get more into that in a little bit. You see, when we have a hard heart, we can have all the knowledge in the world, but we're not allowing God into it. And so the first thing I think we have to do is to open our ears and truly understand what is being said? Because a lot of times when we have a hard heart, it's, it's as soon as someone starts talking about the Bible or starts talking about Jesus, it's, ooh, I wonder what the score of the game is. Oh, mm-hmm, 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 And I got to get groceries, got to pick up. Yeah, no, mm-hmm, yeah, Luke, got gotcha. you. Um, right? We start to tune out because our heart doesn't want to hear. The, the enemy doesn't want us to hear it. The, the enemy's greatest tactic is distraction. Do you know that? A lot of times when our heart is hard, we don't want to hear the word of God. And we become distracted, so I just want to say, listen, open your ears so that your heart might be opened. Actually, listen to the Word of God and understand where God is coming from, what He wants for you. Try to, allow, try to have faith even before you believe. And keep listening. I, I believe if you, you're somewhere with maybe a hard heart and maybe you've heard the Scripture time and time again and it's never actually affected you and it's, it's never changed you and, and, and it's a cool story and everyone else seems to really enjoy it, but it's just not doing it for you, keep listening. Truly open your heart to God. It, it's a voluntary thing. I believe that God will not violate free will, so he's waiting for you to open your heart to him so that he can sow the seed in your heart and show you the life he has for you. So if that's you, keep listening. The next soil that Jesus is going to talk about is rocky soil. Rocky soil. 
He says in verse 6, And some fell on the rock. As it grew up, it withered away, because it had no moisture. Now, I love the way Luke, Luke says it, but I'm going to jump over to Matthew's gospel too, because I think he goes in a little more detail on this particular uh, soil. So Matthew 13.5 says, Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. You see, how this would happen is they would have their fields, and if there were maybe two fields and they needed to separate it, rather than building a fence, what they would do is they would lay stone down to separate out the fields. But over time, this, this stone would actually become covered with dirt and covered with soil, and eventually it would begin to, to grow root, and it would look just like every other soil. The problem is it was only two or three inches deep. So yes, you would throw seed and it would land on the stony soil and it would, it would go and it would plant and it would sprout up very quickly and it would look the part, it looked sincere, it looked like it was going to be a real plant. The problem is that it had no root and when it has no roots, it, it withers up and it dies. Jesus explained this in verse 13. And the ones on the, on the rock... And those who, when they hear the word, are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy, but these have no root. They believe for a while, and in a time of testing, they fall away. You see, this one to me is the scariest of all of them, because it is someone who has experienced the gospel, right? It is someone who has heard the word, maybe the word sprang up, maybe they heard it at church, at a camp, at a conference, or just a conversation with a friend, I don't know. Maybe they heard the word and, and immediately they got excited and they were on fire for Jesus. And you, you may know someone like this. They were on fire and they're ready to tell the world and they were in scripture and they were praying and everything was going good until, until it wasn't. Until something happened that they didn't expect or just until the passion fizzled away. It wasn't exciting anymore. You see, a lot of times when we get... The head knowledge, what I would consider the head knowledge, we have intellectual faith. That's all it is, is it's in the head, and it's a great idea, and it's phenomenal. I mean, it's as, it's as exciting as, you know, an email saying you're going to win a million dollars. But it, it doesn't get you very far. Because there's a different th- difference in intellectual faith and soul faith. You see, the problem is, is when we have just intellectual faith, when all we have is the idea of God, right? Because we're in the South. Everyone's a Christian. Everyone knows Jesus. Okay, but do we know him in our head or do we know him in our soul? Because there's a difference. There's a difference in knowing about Jesus and actually knowing Jesus. So what I would call this is, is a shallow faith. Not, not to be rude, but it's just a faith that has no root. That it's a, a faith that exists simply in the mind. And while a wonderful idea, it has not yet taken root in our soul. You see, they, they have this shallow faith. And I think this is scary because this is the person that will be on fire for Jesus. This is the person that will do all the right things. They'll live up to all the expectations and you're looking at them and you're going, wow, I wish I was as on fire as they are. I wish I was as hyped up about it as they are. And then two months down the road, they're back doing the same exact things. The scary thing is, is now they can say, I tried Jesus, didn't work for me. I tried church. It didn't do anything for me, man. It just, I was just the same. You know, it didn't, didn't help me. You see, because now they don't have any incentive to go back because they think they've already tried it and it didn't work for them. That's why this kind of faith is destructive. It's why it's scary. is because it gives them the deniability. You see, but I, I think 
I think the important, the important scripture was in what Luke said. He said this, it withered away. Why? Because it had no moisture. Now that's incredibly important. That's incredibly important. Because if we read over here in 1 Corinthians 3.6, we're going to read Paul's writing, what he said to the church in Corinth. He says this, I planted the seed. See, Paul is the, Paul is the sower in this moment. I planted the seed in your hearts, and Apollos watered it. But it was God who made it grow. I'm going to, one more time, one more time. I planted the seed. Paul is then the sower, but Apollos watered it. Who was Apollos? He was their pastor. He was the guy there day after day. Paul was the missionary. He was the evangelist. He came in, he preached, he sowed the seed. But Apollos was the guy there day after day, ministering to, counseling, helping, pouring into them. You see, Apollos watered it. And we see that the soil, the shallow faith that, that withers away, it's because it has no moisture. You see, the problem is something is pouring into you. Something is always pouring into you. You're never just stagnant. There's always something. So whether it's going to be the world pouring into you or it's going to be God pouring into you through someone, through his hands and feet. You see, you know how I recognize shallow faith? And, and th this might sound rude. I know it does. I know it does. But I, but I got to say it. It's on my head now. When someone tells me, yeah, I'm a Christian. I just don't need church. Jesus was wrong. I know. Mm-hmm. As soon as someone tells me, I'm spiritual, but I don't do church, I know i got to pray for them. i got to pray for them. A Christian cannot stand alone. It's impossible. You can't take on the weight of the world. You're not meant to. That's why God created the bride, his church. And I don't know if this is your church. I don't care if this is your church. Love you guys. Hope you hang out with me. But if not, that's up to you. The thing is, you've got to be in a church, surrounded by a body of believers that love you and care about you and will pour into you. The seed may need to be planted, but it needs to be watered. You need someone that is pouring into you. There has to be that or you will fall away. You can't stand alone. The battle the world is giving you is too great for us to stand alone. But guess what? He that is in us is greater than he that is in the world. If we would surround ourselves with Christians, with like-minded believers, and allow them to pour into us, then the seed will be watered, and then it will grow. Then God will make it grow. So I don't, I don't know. I don't know if this is your first time here. I don't know if it's your first time in church. But if you love God, and you want success in this thing we call the faith, find a church. Get planted in the church. Start serving in the church. Make friends in the church. The church is what Jesus created. He said it is his body. We are the body of Christ as the church, and we are meant to be together in fellowship with each other so that we can lift each other up, that we can pour into each other. That's what we are here for as a body right now. We are here to love each other. Because, guys, that world out there, it's not too loving. It's not too loving. That's why as a body of believers, we have to love each other. To love each other no matter what. So what I would say to someone that may be struggling with this kind of surface level faith, and maybe it is just an intellectual faith, and maybe you have all the knowledge, but your life has never actually been changed, that you've never had that conviction, then I would say, number one, get plugged into a church. 
Then I would say, get into the Word. Start praying. Obey the Word. Actually, more than anything is obey actually what Jesus has called us to do. And see what that doesn't do for you. So the third soil Jesus mentions is the soil with weeds. The soil with weeds. Now verse 7, Jesus says, And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And I'm going to jump on down to verse 14 to let Jesus explain this. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. I don't feel like I really got to add anything. Jesus is just stepping on all kinds of toes today. What he's saying is I think that you can come to church and you can get excited about church and you can get excited about the word and you can get excited about Jesus. You can have a prayer time in the morning and you can be so excited. But as soon as Monday comes around, right, as soon as Tuesday or maybe Friday night comes around, suddenly our focus shifts, doesn't it? And it's not always a bad thing. Notice what he says. He says, yes, the cares of this world and also the riches and pleasures, but the cares. In other translations, they call this the stresses, the, the stress of this world. That, yes, sometimes we're stressed. We're going to walk out of here, and, and Monday's going to come, back, come up, and there's going to be emails that need answered, and there's work that needs done. There's babies that need changed, and, and life is just going to implode on you, and you're going to have so much to do that you're going to forget about all of this because stuff needs done. Yes, it needs done, but it does not need done before this needs done. That's the problem, is we, we get our priorities out of whack. Yes, we have kids that need taken care of. We need to take care of our marriage. We need to work. We need to make money, but God has to be at the top. God has to be at the top. Anytime we place something above God, we've got our priorities out of whack and we've allowed weeds to grow up and to choke out the fruit that God is bearing in us. You see, what would happen is they would, they would throw, and if you notice in, in verse 7, he says, the thorns grew up with it. The thorns weren't there in the beginning. God, Jesus, the sower, throws the seeds, and the, the thorns grow up with it. They throw, grow up at the same time, the same height maybe. The problem is, is the thorn sucks out all of the nutrients out of the soil. Again, you and I are the soil, and if we allow the weeds of this world to suck up all the nutrients out of us, the Word of God will die out and wither away. If we allow the weeds, the stresses, the problem, the riches, the pleasures, the enjoyments, our temptations, the sin of this world to consume us, the Word of God will wither away in us. This is a self-reflection moment. This is between you and God. You know where your priority list is. Even if you have it written down somewhere, it doesn't mean that's where it's actually at. Reflect on yourself, where do your priorities lie? And is God at the top of them? If not, things need adjusted. We have to keep God at the top or else these weeds will come in and they'll, they'll choke out the word of God in our life. And I don't know what your weeds are and I think it's why Jesus doesn't get specific. is because he knows everyone has different problems. They have different stresses. They have different temptations and different sins. You know what your weeds are. 
What are those things that are competing with your time with God? What is it that you choose over reading the Bible? What is it that you choose over praying? What is it that you choose over helping a friend who's in need? That's part of being a Christian. It's not just all about reading the Bible and praying. It's about actually helping and make other people's lives well and good. What do you choose over those things? That's your weeds. That is your weeds. Those are the things that you need to adjust around and make sure God is the top priority. That God is your top priority. So I would suggest if if this is a struggle, and I believe it is for everyone, because let's be honest, when we walk out those doors, life is going to happen. I know every year at Winter Conference, we have a little cry breakdown session because we don't want to go home. Because we know as soon as we get home, the struggles and life gets real again. We have to enter back into real life and school starts back and and work starts back and we don't want to go back to the real world. But it's coming either way. The only way that I believe we we can carry on is to make God a priority. And for you, this may look like making sure you put God first, literally, in life, when you wake up before you pour the first cup of coffee, before you unplug your phone, you pick up your Bible, you read and pray. That before you make the phone call to the friend you want to talk to, you call the person you need to talk to. Maybe instead of putting off that forgiveness that you need to forgive because you think you're going to want to do it later for some reason, you just do it now while you're thinking about it. You see, procrastination is essentially assuming that your future self is going to want to do what your current self doesn't. It's not true. Your future self is still you. You're still not going to want to do it. You might as well do it now and get it out of the way. Put God first. Now, it's not something you're going to do tomorrow because tomorrow you're not going to want to do it then either. Put God first today. The fourth soil, it's the one we should all strive to be. It's the good soil. The good soil. Verse 8, Jesus says, And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Love that verse. We're going to come back to that in a moment. You see, the soil, the only difference in this soil and all the other soil is all dirt. It was all dirt. The difference is this soil was prepared to receive the seed. You see, in life, we can pray all day. But if we're not prepared to receive the seed, we're going to catch it like a ball in the face. And that's not fun. But if we prepare ourselves to receive the seed, Jesus says we do this in verse 15. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. So how do we create in ourselves a good soil? A good, open heart that's ready to receive the word of God. How do we do that? Number one, we have to have soft hearts. And I think this means that we have to actually open ourselves up. How do you you make soft a dirt that is hard? That is English. All right. How do you soften hard dirt? you got to break it up. you got to till it up. Sometimes you've got to break some stuff up. Sometimes you've got to get rid of some things. But you've got to soften your heart. You've got to open your ears to hear the word of God. So that word can be sown in your heart. And the second thing is you have to have roots. And sometimes this may mean that you have to understand where you're at right now is simply an intellectual faith. You're not at the mountaintop. You're just on the way. 
right? That, that at this moment, you know a lot about Jesus, but the, root, but the word of God is not taking root in your soul. And you've got to do some more soul searching to get there. That you've got to know that Jesus is God and you are not, and he's not always going to respond the way you think he should. Because again, he knows past, present, future, and his plans are greater than yours. He may not respond the way you want and understand that. If anyone told you that Christianity was going to be amazing and perfect, they lied to you. It's not. A lot of times when we enter into Christianity, we then become a target of the enemy. And some things are going to be thrown our way. It doesn't mean God doesn't love you. God isn't for you. God isn't with you. It means you're human. And you're facing problems like we all do. But if you can have faith and put your faith and trust in God, and maybe if you could obey God, even prior to having faith in God, you would understand how his hand is in the midst of every single moment that he is there sustaining you even when you can't see it. When you're in the middle of the storm, you often can't see what's happening on the outside. He's there with you. The good soil, it has no weeds. Now, I don't know if you've ever gardened. I know this much about planting flowers is that weeds are stupid. And uh, they grow everywhere. So I have to assume that these weeds even grew in the good soil. But someone went and plucked them out. What if the weeds are there in your life and they're just waiting to be plucked out? The good soil had no weeds. Why? Because someone had went and prepared that soil to receive the seed. If we prepare our hearts, we may pluck out the things that are drawing us away from God. And if we, we could pluck these things out, maybe we could have an impact and we could feel what we expect. And maybe God could penetrate our hard hearts because we've done the work to prepare ourselves to receive the seed. Now, the last line that Jesus says here, he says, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Sort of an odd phrase. Because immediately think, yeah, I have ears to hear. I heard. So what? And we may immediately think that let him hear may be a reference to someone just not listening. Which is probably true. But more than likely, this was a reference to a Jewish prayer that these guys would have been incredibly familiar with. I mean, so familiar, Jews today still pray this prayer daily, and it's called the Shema, the Shema prayer. And it comes from Deuteronomy 6.4, and it says, Hear, which is the word Shema, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. Now, these Jews would have repeated this prayer every morning and every night, as soon as they woke up, before they went to bed. Sometimes I think we need to do that. All the time I think we need to do that. If you don't have this, write down Deuteronomy 6.4. It's still applicable to us today. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. But what is interesting is the Hebrew language is not nearly as vast as English. English language, we have about 400,000 words. The ancient Hebrew language had about 8,000. You can imagine things meant multiple things. Um, and the word here that's used here, Shema, it meant to hear, but it also meant to obey. It meant to obey. You see, in this culture, there was no idea that you could hear something and then not do it. You see, in Americanness, we, we think in more of a mindset. This culture thought more in action. That's why James said, do not just hear the word only, but do what it says, is a very action-oriented mindset. So if you heard something, it was assumed you were going to do it. So when Jesus says here, he who has ears 
to hear. You that have heard the word that is spoken. Let him hear. Or let him obey. Let him obey. You see, I think obedience gets a bad, uh, bad relationship. We think of obedience like a dog. Don't. My dog's horrible. It's not obedient at all. But we think of obedience like that, but that's not the idea of obedience we're looking at here. Obedience is kind of like how you'd be obedient to your spouse. Um, it would be a horrible relationship if you didn't do what they asked you to do, what they expected you to do. If you were unfaithful, it would be a horrible relationship. See, what God is saying here is obey. Do what I say. Again, God is the creator. He is, knows past, present, future. It would only make sense to follow the person that has the answers to the puzzle, would it not? Obey. So I think it's kind of all summed up here in, the, in this last word, just to hear, to understand the word of God, to hear the word of God and actually do what it says. Sometimes I think obedience can come before faith, that you obey because you're asked to, and that is a showing of faith, is that we would obey, that we listen and obey what he says. And I think it's where a lot of Christians fall off right here, around the time we get to obey, because again, in, in Western uh, culture, we are very much a, a mental uh, culture. We, we like to think about things a whole lot more than we like to do them. That was not the case back then. They are very much action-oriented. And so a lot of us are like, oh yeah, love the Bible, says some awesome stuff. But then we go out and do, don't do a thing that it says to do. It's just a good idea. Really like that idea. No, obedience is necessary in a relationship. Um, but by, by both, in, in a normal relationship, in this we're talking about Jesus, God, the creator of creation. We're called to obey. Where I think we're getting with this, once we read this parable and we understand that we are the soil, and Jesus is essentially saying to us, I am sowing the seed to the kingdom of heaven, that I am giving you the word of God, that I am laying it all out on all soil, wherever you are and whatever you're facing, I'm giving it to you, I'm waiting for you to accept it. You know what I, what I picture here? Could you imagine loving someone so much? I mean, imagine the person you are willing to lay down your life for. The person you're willing to die for and then watching them choose someone else. Because each and every day, we walk into the world and we make a choice. Are we going to follow God today? Or are we going to follow the world? Or are we going to follow Satan? That is the choice. There are simply two choices. You follow God or you follow the world. There is no neutral ground. You do one or the other. If you are not following God, you are following the world. So imagine just, just being God. As crazy as that might seem, that you have loved someone so much that, that you wrote them love letter after love letter after love letter, and most of them will never open it. 
Most of them will never get into the word that you wrote down on paper, that you poured out your blood to write, that you went to the ends of the earth to communicate your love to them. And they, they never bothered to receive it. You see, we make a decision day after day after day. Who do we choose? And I can't imagine being God, being Jesus, knowing creation, having your hands in part of creating a person that you love unconditionally, that you crafted them perfectly the way you presented them, that you loved them, knew the number of hairs on their head, and you watched them as they grew up. And you watched them when they messed up. And you watched them when they made mistakes. Knowing all of this, you still shed your blood. You still wrote them love letter after love letter. And then you watched them go into the world and deny you time and time again. Oh, man. You know what's crazy, though? God knew that before the cross. Jesus knew that before you lived. And he still loves you. He still sows the seed. He sows the seed on the path that he knows the heart is too hard to understand his word. He sows the seed in the weeds that he knows they're consumed with everything else and they've given into the devil time and time again, but he still sows the seed there. And he sows the seed where there is rock and they have a shallow faith and they just think he's a cool idea. He knew this and he still threw the seed there. You know, I think this is important because so many times we can think we are unworthy of the love of God. But every time I pick up this book, I hear, Jeff, you are worthy. Jeff, I love you. Jeff, I lay down my life for you, and what you think about yourself is not important because I love you. Above all things, right? That's what we have to understand is God spread this seed to us that, that Jesus came and told parable after parable so that we might one day understand you are loved. I know the world has hurt you. I know that you're closed off. I know that you don't want anything to do with anyone else, but that is not who he is. He wants that relationship with you. And it feels like to me just every time I pick up this book, this is the message I'm getting, is that God is a God of love and that you are loved wherever you are and whatever you face and whatever you're going through. You may feel all alone, but you're not. God loves you. And he, he wants you to just open your heart to him. He wants to have that relationship with you. Open your heart to him. Let him show you how much he loves you. Wherever you found yourself in these soils, whether you're the hard soil, the rocky soil, the, weed, the soil with weeds and all the stresses of this world. Make God number one. Allow him to take that number one spot and show you how he loves you. Because you are loved. And God is still sowing seed today. That's why you're here hearing this word today. Is these words that are being spoken are, are as God casting seed and he's just hoping that you'll open your heart and receive it. That you can know without a shadow of a doubt that you are loved and you are accepted and he has a place for you. Open your heart and receive it. Let's pray.
I want to take just a, just a moment to speak to anyone here that may not have ever truly received this. Maybe you've had the head knowledge. Maybe you just had a hard heart. I don't know the reason. I don't know what's happened. But if that's you today and you want to receive the seed, the Word of God says that if you say with your mouth and believe in your heart that He is the Son of God and that He died for your sins, that you'll be saved. If that's you today and you want to accept His Word and you want to accept Him as your Lord and Savior, I want to give you that opportunity. If that's you and you want to make that decision today, I want you to lift your hand on the count of three and then you can put it right back down and we'll say a prayer together. And, and if your heart is open, I believe you'll be saved today. If that's you on the count of three, you just raise your hand. One, two, three. Awesome. Awesome. If that was you, I want you to repeat this prayer with me. You can say it audibly or silently. God hears it either way. Just know that right now you are speaking to God. You are in his presence. He is with you. And he's always with you. Say, Lord, today I give you my life. I accept you as my Lord and as my Savior. Jesus, I give you everything. I know that you are the Son of God, that you died for me. And by the power of God, you were raised from the dead. You conquered sin and death. Today, I repent of my sins, and I will follow you to the best of my ability. Today, I'm a new creation in you. Amen. Let's, just, let's pray as a body just for a moment. Lord, I thank you so much for everything you do. God, I pray for the for the people here that they have heard your word. God, I just pray that your word would be sown in their hearts. God, that there would be open hearts all over this building. And, and that, God, those of us that have already found your word, God, I pray that, that we would go out and we would continue to sow the word. That we would not be ashamed of your gospel for it is the power that can save souls. God, I pray that we would go and we would just sow the seed everywhere we can. God, and I pray for those that have never received it, that they would come to understand who you are, what you want for them, and just understand and accept the seed that you are sowing, God. I pray that you will be with each and every person in this building, that they would know whatever they face, whatever struggle and battle they're going through, you are there beside them. God, and that you are for them no matter where they're at. God, you know the pains and the struggles, the difficulties we face. Be with each and every person here today, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name. Amen.